Welcome to Just Thinking with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Parson Walker? (laughs) (laughs) Man, you... (laughs) Folks are not going to know what to do with that one, man. They're not going to know know, what to do with that one. On that note, let me just give our listeners a little bit of background information. You know, before you hear our voices on the Just Thinking episode that you're listening to, Virgil and I will usually have some chit-chat offline before mm-hmm. he hits record. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about something uh, just before, you know, we, we began this uh, this particular episode and, and Virgil hit the record button. We were talking about something that, and Virgil mentioned something that kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, one of his roles as a pastor out there in uh, Omaha is that he, you know, he marries people. He, he uh, officiates weddings and mm-hmm. i just had a flashback to uh you know the the series a little house on the prairie and how in that series they would also always refer to the preacher as parson ah. and uh so i, I, I virgil <laughs> kind of got caught off guard by that title there and I, i'm like man you, you're slipping you you don't know that you, you're not familiar <laughs> with what, what, the, what the word parson is dude that, that's you that's that's you bro you're pastor P- parson you're parson <laughs> walker <laughs> <laughs> man i look to the listeners you know daryl had to reach back for that one i mean he <laughs> he reached back in way back not even in his hip pocket far back he reached way back for that one that's yeah, all i, I went, got to say about that i reached back to the closet of my house back in atlanta for that yeah, one man yeah. <laughs> i reached a long way from that yeah. one buddy yeah how you doing man you good i'm good man excited about our topic tonight man i can't wait to jump into it Looking forward to it. Like you said, just did a did a wedding uh, this past weekend, and uh, that's always followed by you know six weeks of premarital counseling and 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 that kind of thing. And so it it just you know with where we were going to go, and you know when you had kind of teed up, hey, here's where I'm thinking I want to go. It just was a great kind of cap of the weekend uh, to kind of highlight marriage, the wedding, and uh, and and our subject matter. So yeah, just looking forward to where we're going to go tonight. Well, we might as well dive right in, man. Here we are together again, by God's grace, for another episode of the Just Thinking Broadcast. And I know I say this often. I find myself saying this almost every episode, but the topic we're dealing with in this episode may very well be one of the weightier topics we've dealt with simply because of the breadth and depth and the myriad levels and layers that are associated with it. Mm-hmm. And the topic I'm talking about is singleness, dating, and marriage from a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. Singleness, dating, and marriage from a biblical worldview. Now, in case anyone is curious about how we happen to land on this topic, because perhaps there's someone out there who is curious as to why it is that two men are talking about this subject without input from a Christian female perspective, this topic actually was suggested to us by a Christian female. Mm -hmm. Now, the person I'm speaking of uh, had read my recent blog article. Uh, You can check out the article at justthinking.me. That's Mm justthinking.me. She'd read my recent blog article entitled The Danger of Discontentment. Mm -hmm. The Danger of Discontentment. And she messaged me on Twitter 
asking if we would consider doing an episode on singleness and dating. Now, there's a little more to that story, which I'm not going to go into for the sake of this individual's privacy, but that's essentially how we ended up landing on this topic. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to add also that with respect to the topic of singleness, dating, and marriage, we're not talking about perspective here. We're talking about those topics from the standpoint of God's objective truth, Mm. which involves only one perspective, and that perspective is God's. Okay? The truth is, it would be virtually impossible to incorporate into a discussion about a topic as broad as this one the countless individual perspectives and experience that exist on this subject. Hence, why I want to emphasize that we'll be discussing it from an overall biblical worldview as opposed to the standpoint of the various subjective perspectives that are out there with regard to this topic. Mm -hmm. In other words, you will not be hearing from us a list of specific do's and don'ts when it comes to singleness, dating, and marriage. Mm-hmm. What you will hear, however, are some general biblical principles and precepts from God's word that touch on all those three areas. Okay? So I pray that no one is taken aback by the fact that it's just you and me discussing this topic, Omaha, mm-hmm. because notwithstanding the fact that you and I are men, the Bible says what it says, regardless of who is doing the talking. Right, right. Not to mention that it's my podcast and I can do what I want. So (laughs) (laughs) you had to throw that in there, huh? Throw that in there, man. Yeah. yeah. Good measure. Good. But, but in all seriousness though, I want our listeners to understand that you and I take this subject very seriously. And that's the case with every topic we discuss on the just thinking broadcast and that our desire is first and foremost to honor God in all that we say and do here. Mm -hmm. Now, That said, and before I hand it over to you, Omaha, for some introductory comments, I want to add a disclaimer here. In a recent episode of the Just Thinking broadcast, I can't recall if it was the one we did on slavery reparations or on whiteness, Mm -hmm. I mentioned the term Christian vultures Mm -hmm. as it relates to what I viewed as the graceless and rude behavior that's exhibited by some Christians, particularly on social media. Now, for those of you who might be unfamiliar with that term, a Christian vulture is defined as someone who professes to be a follower of Christ, but who spends their time deliberately looking for something, anything to criticize other believers about, particularly as it relates to something they might have posted on social media or said on some other medium, such as a podcast or a video. And once they find that something, they hover around that comment like that, like vultures that hover over a dying carcass waiting to land on top of you so they can tear you apart with their graceless attitude and vitriolic remarks. Mm-hmm. That is what I mean by the term Christian vulture. Mm-hmm. Now I coined that term because I've often experienced that kind of treatment from so-called Christians on social media. and Perhaps you have as well, uh, Omaha. Mm-hmm. And, and I bring that term up because invariably, There's going to be someone who hears this episode and is going to pick out some syllable, some word or some phrase or comment with which they disagree. And that's Mm -hmm. fine as disagreement goes. But as I said, we're not here to give dogmatic, quote unquote, advice. 
on what specific steps Christians who are single should take with regard to singleness, dating, and marriage. The purpose of this episode is to share some general but sound biblical principles and precepts that we believe will be helpful in shaping a biblical paradigm of singleness and dating and marriage in terms of what should be the ultimate goal for single Christians who desire to date, which is marriage. Mm -hmm. I want to add also, Omaha, that there is no possible way for us to conduct an exhaustive treatment of a subject that it is that is as multifaceted as the one we're discussing today in a single episode. And right. I want to make it clear to our listeners that that's not what this episode is designed to do. It is not intended to be a forensic, comprehensive treatment of the subject of singleness and dating. Nor is it intended to be understood or interpreted as definitive advice on what you as an individual should do as it relates to your own personal situation as a single person who either is or isn't interested in dating someone for the purpose of marriage. Mm -hmm. This episode is not intended or designed to accomplish any of those things. You know, as biblical counselors, Omaha, you and I both know very well that discussing this topic is tantamount to trying to walk on rice paper without tearing it. <laughs> right. I mean, it's impossible. It's impossible right. to do. And what I mean by that analogy is that regardless how careful we are, as we talk about this issue, there's going to be somebody out there who is going to be upset either because of something we said or didn't say. So I will simply ask our listeners to please don't be a Christian vulture. <laughs> don't be a Christian vulture. I humbly ask that you afford Virgil and me the same grace you would want if you were in our shoes, as we're going to do our best to unpack what God's word says on this very important matter that is of genuine concern to so many of God's people. So don't be a Christian vulture as you listen to this episode. Any thoughts on that, Omaha? No, I thought. I mean, I think that at the outset, you just you set it up very, very well, uh, man, with with crystal clarity about what it is and what it isn't, what we intend to do, what we don't intend to do, and and where we're going to take the conversation. And uh, with that, man, I'm I'm excited. One of the things our listeners may not know, and you kind of you alluded to it just briefly, just that your 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 personal background in biblical counseling and some of the training that you've undergone to 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 get to that point. Um, I only share that to amplify the point you made earlier regarding the biblical nature of our perspective. Good point. Uh, you know, the, uh, the the other the other day I saw something that suggested that there's a, a, a quote unquote white perspective, that there's a quote unquote African-American perspective, you, you know, whatever that is. You and I have always desired to hold to a biblical perspective on just thinking. And what's funny is that I, I mentioned to you as, as we were kind of uh, getting prepared for the show is that this weekend I just d you know did 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 the wedding and uh, I, as I was preparing couples and walking them through their premarital counseling, uh, all of what we do in that space involves heavy heavy doses uh, of scripture. So in addition, yep. as a as a as a pastor and and, and the role, what would what, you call it up up top? What was it a a, a parish? What was it you call parson? You're a parson. You're a you're a parson. And back in the day, right, the church for whom the parson, in which the parson served, mm -hmm. the church would provide housing right. for the parson, hence the term 
parsonage. parsonage. I get it. I all makes sense. So in in addition to my function as a pastor or a parson, <laughs> right? I've got to I got to pull that old 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 term you just threw at me. Uh, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't even have the Hammond B three back they then. Didn't have, no, there wasn't no Hammond B three. No, uh uh-uh. uh. Maybe some banjos. Maybe they tuned up on a banjo or two. Maybe that's what the B stands for. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> That's pretty good, man. You're pretty quick. You better look out on this episode, man. You're coming with it tonight. This is good. <laughs> Uh, what I was good in, in, in closing my comments, I was Wait, what, is it, what say, is this episode about again? I forget. You're right, 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 right. What are we talking about? <laughs> right. <laughs> in addition to my function as a, as a pastor, the pastoral role at the church, I do quite a bit of counseling with both singles and with couples in various stages of relational crisis. Now, I don't share that as a form of qualifications, but rather uh, to say that all that I do in these areas of, of counseling of any kind, of conversation of any kind, of discipleship of any kind are always anchored in the scripture. So with that said, I'm excited, man, for where we're going to go with this particular topic as I hand it back off to you. All right. Thanks, Parson. Okay. <laughs> so singleness and dating. Now, as we look to God's word for wisdom on this topic, the question naturally becomes, where do we begin? As I considered that question in preparation for this episode, it occurred to me that the best place to begin is, well, at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So let's do that. Let's open the word of God, which is what we do here on the Just Thinking broadcast, and see what it says about this topic of singleness and dating. Now, if you're listening to this episode and you're able to have your Bible with you, please turn to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and we'll look at several texts here, just a couple of texts here within the book of Genesis. First of all, I want to look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, which I will be reading from the non-Armenian Standard Bible. Oh, man, I, I thought I thought she was going to come with some elect never, standard. But I'm right. never going to the dark side, bro. Never <laughs> going to the dark side. <laughs> Oh man, I had to figure I had, I had to I put some balance in here somewhere in a little bit. Genesis 1:26 to 27. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Staying in Genesis, let's go to Genesis chapter 2, where I will read verses 18 and then verses 21 through 25. Genesis 2, verses 18 and 21 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he, that is God, took one of his ribs, one of the man's ribs, and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man 
and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That was Genesis 2, verses 18, and then 21 through 25. Now, let's stop there for a moment. Now, it should go without saying, but given the current sociocultural milieu in which we find ourselves, it is necessary that I add this caveat to our discussion. When either Omaha or I use the term marriage, we are speaking very specifically in the context of a covenant union between a heterosexual man and a heterosexual woman as God himself created them. We just read that. As John Piper writes in his book, This Momentary Marriage, which I will cite again later in this episode, Piper says marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. Piper is absolutely right on that. Marriage is God's idea, but we, in accordance with our sinful nature, have attempted to hijack God's idea for marriage and make it into something of our own depraved imagination. So if you call yourself married, but are of the same sex as your so-called spouse, I have a message for you. But first, I need you to turn up the volume for just a second or move a little closer to your speaker so you can clearly hear what I'm about to say to you. You're not married. Okay? You're not married. Marriage, by God's definition and design, is between a male and a female. A husband is someone who is a male, and a wife is someone who is a female, period. If there are two of you who are of the same sex, you're not married. I don't care what that piece of paper called a marriage license says, you're not married. Now, having said that, I want to go back to the text in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. So we see from the aforementioned text in Genesis 1 and 2 that God created man in his image and made them of only two sexes, male and female. It is in Genesis 2.24 that God institutes the marriage covenant between the man and the woman, and that covenant comes with two commands. One, leave or depart from your father and mother. And although, let me just say this, although that God's words in that command are directed at the man, implicit in that command, it also applies to the woman. You are to leave or depart from your father and mother. And then the second command is to become one flesh. Okay, so that's Genesis 2.24. That covenant institution of marriage comes with two commands. You leave your father and mother, and then you become one flesh. So marriage is God's ordinance, and those are his commands concerning that ordinance. Now, with that in mind, the first thing I want to say to single people who are listening to this episode and who have a desire to be married is this. God knows the desires of your heart, okay? He knows that you desire to be married. And on the basis of the text we just read, the desire to be married is a good desire to have. 
But in addition to understanding that our omniscient God knows the desires of the heart, we must also understand that being omniscient, God also knows whether those desires are grounded in pure motives. Consider these verses in light of that reality. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. Proverbs 16, 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Proverbs 21, 2. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, that word condemn there in the last text that I read, 1 John 3, 21, is the Greek verb kata gnosko, kata gnosko. That's K-A-T-A-G-I-N-O-S-K-O, kata gnosko. It is a compound of two Greek words, kata, which can be translated to mean against, and the word gnosko, which can be translated to, to mean to know. Okay, so that's kata against and then gnosko to know. So what John is literally saying here in 1 John 3.21 is that if, if there is nothing our heart knows against us, okay, if there's nothing our heart knows against us, nothing about which our heart is convicting or condemning us about in terms of motive, then we can have confidence before God that whatever we ask that is in alignment with his divine will for our life, we will receive from him. As Christians, we are to have the same mindset as Christ who prayed in Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, I cannot overstate how critical it is that Christians who are single embrace that same attitude that our Savior had in those words in Matthew 6, 10. Because whether we're talking about desire to be married or some other desire we might have, we know in our heart whether that desire is pure. We know that about ourselves. We may try to deny it, reject it, and pretend it's not there. But deep down inside of us, we know. We know whether that desire is pure or not. The problem is that when our heart does condemn us about certain desires we have, we often choose to ignore it. And when we do that, it is much to our own regret and harm. And I say that from experience. So again, for the single person out there who is a believer, I would say two things up front. Number one, take comfort in the fact that God knows your desire and knows how best to meet that desire if he so chooses. Mm. Okay. And then secondly, keep in mind that not only does God know the desires of your heart, he also knows the motives from which those desires originate. Okay. And I want to read a few texts to support that. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 39. 1 Kings 8, 39. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone 
know the hearts of all the sons of men. That was first mm-hmm. Kings eight thirty nine, Psalm one thirty nine verses one through four. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Psalm 44, verses 20 through 21. If we have forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. So with those texts in mind, the first thing the Christian single person must consider is whether or not his or her motives for wanting to be married in the first place are pure in the sight of God. Because as far as God is concerned, and ultimately the only thing that matters is what is most important to God, purity of motives become, comes before anything else. Purity of motives comes before anything else. We see that in the case of Samuel when he anointed David as king in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. When they entered, he, that is Samuel, looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In his excellent book, which I highly recommend, Passions of the Heart, Dr. John Street, who serves as chair of the graduate program at the Master Seminary and is also president of the Board of Trustees of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, Dr. Street said the following about the heart in his book, Passions of the Heart. Quote, the heart is the core of who you are. It is the control center of your life. Yet the heart's chief unsettling characteristic is its capacity for self-deception. Mm-hmm. It is commonplace for the heart to assume that it is better than it really is. It is customary for the heart to believe its own innocence and to presume the goodness of its own motivations. A self-imposed form of blindness is endemic to the heart because of the effect of original sin. The proud heart has no difficulty with portraying itself in favorable ways. Because it actually believes itself to be truly good, the self-deceived heart tends to be cavalier and crafty about the unsavory aspects of its plans, purposes, intentions, and motivations by highlighting the more respectable and honorable ones. The heart's natural inclination to judge itself favorably is a serious problem, not only for the openly self-indulgent sinner, but but even for the most sincere and dedicated Christian. Thoughts, Omaha? A lot of good content, man, that you shared uh, in that. I I just want to briefly kind of summarize it just to make sure that I've got and followed kind of your train of thought. First, you talked about uh, the fact that in our current culture, 
where so-called same-sex marriage is being promoted, uh, that, the, that the Bible has no category by which to call marriage anything other than one man marrying one woman, right? Exactly. And, exactly. Exactly. Any, anything outside of that definition is sin and should be repented of. And un- unfortunately, in our current culture, it's an, it's an important uh, distinction to make uh, where we have political candidates who are saying that they're unrepented same-sex quote unquote marriage or their unrepentant homosexuality are bringing them closer to the Lord. You know, um, right. next you yeah. talked, you talked about, you talked about the purity of heart that one should have regarding their own desires to marry. Uh, and, and I believe you meant, you correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you meant that, that, that we need to have an understanding that marriage is a covenant of God. And as such, it should not be entered into lightly or selfishly, but soberly and thoughtfully. I think, I think you'd agree with that, right? Agree. hundred percent. Absolutely. Okay, good. And, and in fact, one of the verses that I used during uh, the wedding that I did uh, was a text that most people don't often think about applying to marriage in particular. However, I think it's an important text to think about as it pertains to the manner in which all believers should respond to one another. Uh, and in light of marriage, though, it takes on an even more focused significance. It's Colossians chapter three, verses 12 through 14. And he- here's how it reads. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Wow. And it's a is a powerful text, a powerful section of scripture that, that really points to how believers should be interacting with other believers, how sinful people saved by God's grace should be interacting with one another. But when we we think about that in, in light of sinful human beings coming together under the covenant of marriage, it takes on an even heightened significance. Paul would go on in, in the following verses in Colossians three eighteen and 19 to kind of reiterate the same instructions that we find in Ephesians 5, 22 and 25 with regard to the complementarian nature of marriage, instructing the wife to submit to her husband mm-hmm. and asking for the husband to love the wife and give himself up for her. However, when we think about these issues of, of marriage and the fact that it requires so much of us as sinful human beings, again, marriage should never be entered into uh, with, 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 without great soberness of thought uh, rather than the selfish idea of what's in it for me. Right. You know, love that, man. Love that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that, Omaha. That was Absolutely. great stuff. <clears throat> so, again, where God is concerned. Okay, where God is concerned, it is not only about the desire, but the motive as well. Mm. Okay, because as we just read in those previous texts, God knows the secrets that we harbor in the depths of our heart. Mm -hmm. He knows. And speaking of secrets of the heart, there's something I feel compelled to say at this point, Omaha, with regard to the heart and dating. Mm -hmm. You know, in the vernacular of the vast majority of single people, what they mean by the term dating is undertaking an exercise that involves spending time together so as to investigate and discover what things he or she might have in common in terms of interests and disinterests, mm-hmm. likes and dislikes, and other things along those lines. Mm-hmm. But although those things have their place in the dating process, what dating is fundamentally about in a biblical sense is discovering what the other person's heart is like especially as it relates to whether the person is a believer. 
That's number one. Yeah. And if so, whether there is consistent evidence or fruit of that in his or her life. Bro, okay. what 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 you what you're saying here is paramount. And and I I, I know it's just it's, it's step one in this process that we're gonna walk through, but it is paramount. In fact, there there's so many young ladies in particular who have these ideas about fixing some man. Yeah. Uh that there there's 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 men out there who who are not thinking biblically about this particular issue, oh she's cute or fine or whatever term you use and 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 lose literally lose their rational mind mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. definitely their mm-hmm. biblical view mm-hmm. about how these kinds of things should be approached so as you said that man i just thought I, i've got to i've got to put my toe in the water and just say hey yeah paul's make sure make sure if you're list if you're a listener make sure you heard exactly what was said this this particular issue is the issue that gets overlooked and then guys like myself and Daryl are are, ha- are having counseling appointments and sessions. Mm-hmm. Other pastors are having sessions with people to deal with issues because they missed out on this very first mm-hmm. thing that 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 you're that you're this first point that you're raising. Yeah, it's 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 you know what it's number one. I, I just don't know how, what other way to say that it's paramount, like you said, Omaha. And I'm going to repeat that: what dating is fundamentally about. And and the audience that we're talking to on the Just Thinking broadcast, we're talking to the church, okay? So we're talking mm-hmm. to believers. Mm-hmm. Believers are our target audience for every single episode that we do, okay? So I'm talking to believers when I say this. What dating is fundamentally about in a biblical context is discovering what the other person's heart is like especially as it relates to whether that person is a believer. That's number one. Mm -hmm. And if so, you want to find out if there's consistent evidence of that in his or her life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now let me give you an illustration. You probably don't know this about me, Omaha, but I'm a huge fan of classic films. Mm. And by classic films, I'm talking about movies that were released during the 1920s through the 1950s. Now, one of my all-time favorite classic films is the 1949 movie titled The Heiress. Mm-hmm. The Heiress. That film starred Olivia de Havilland and Montgomery Clift. Some of our listeners may recognize the name Olivia de Havilland as she uh, was one of the stars of the 1939 film Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. Some people probably consider me racist for even mentioning that. that <laughs> <laughs> now you're digressing. All right, but I digress. (laughs) In the heiress, okay, in the heiress, de Havilland is in the role of Catherine Sloper, S-L-O-P-E-R. De Havilland plays the role of Catherine Sloper, a very plain-looking and incredibly shy woman who is the daughter of Dr. Austin Sloper, a wealthy physician, but a man who is emotionally abusive towards his daughter because his daughter doesn't live up to the image that he has of his deceased wife. So he's compared his daughter to his wife. She doesn't measure up and he's emotionally abusive towards her for that reason. Now, Montgomery Clift plays the role of Morris Townsend. Morris is a very handsome young man who meets Catherine at a party celebrating the engagement of Sloper's cousin, to one of the more eligible bachelors in that town. 
But unbeknownst to Catherine Sloper, Morris Townsend is an opportunistic fortune hunter. He knows that Catherine, though considered boring and unattractive to most men, is in line to inherit up to $30,000 annually from her parents' estate and wants to have that money all to himself. Now, Mm -hmm. to understand the context of $30,000 in today's money, that's nothing. However, this is a period film that's set in the mid-1800s. Okay, so thirty thousand dollars in the mid eighteen hundreds was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Okay, so from the very moment that Morris meets Catherine at that engagement party, he aggressively lavishes her with the kind of attention she she so desperately wanted but never received from her father. She's just so naive to what's going on. She's so blinded by that attention that she falls hopelessly in love with the guy. He proposes to her, she accepts, and then subsequently she tells her father of their plans to marry. Mm-hmm. Now, notwithstanding the fact that Austin Sloper is emotionally distant from his daughter, he is not naive to what Morris Townsend is up to. In fact, he tries desperately to convince his daughter, Catherine, about what Morris really has up his sleeve, but she refuses to believe him because she's so in love with the guy. So Dr. Sloper sets out to conduct his own due diligence to find irrefutable evidence of what kind of man Morris Townsend really is. He sets up a meeting at his home with Morris Townsend's much older and wiser sister. But after being asked a series of questions about Townsend's character, his sister remarks to Dr. Sloper, Dr. Sloper, I think you expect too much of people. No one can truly know what goes on in other people's hearts. To which Dr. Sloper replied, but I have to try, madam. I have to try. Mm-hmm. See, Dr. Sloper nailed it. Dr. Sloper absolutely nailed it. When you're dating, the primary objective is to try to find out everything you can about the other person in his or her heart. Now, that's easier said than done, of course, because that other person has to be willing to cooperate with you mm-hmm. and likewise you with them in being transparent enough and truthful enough and honest enough so that you can know something of the spiritual condition of their heart. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say you should completely open yourself up to every person with whom you go on a date. Because if you're dating with the goal of marriage in mind, there shouldn't be that many people that you date to begin with. (laughs) But that as you're dating with the goal of marriage in mind, you should not only be trying to learn the person's likes and dislikes or what the two of you have in common or not, Mm -hmm. but who that person is on the inside. And unless and until you have objective, demonstrable evidence of that, for better or worse, you should never commit to marrying that person. This is so critical to understand because the words of Jeremiah 17, 9 still ring true for every one of us. Mm. That verse reads, the heart is more deceitful than all else and Mm. is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's one of the more profound rhetorical questions in all of scripture. The heart is so deceitful. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? What the prophet Jeremiah is saying here is that there is nothing absolutely nothing that our hearts are not capable of in terms of the type of sin we can commit. 
and such is the danger of people who are single and are so focused on the external about a person that they often find out too late that they should have been more focused on the internal about the person. Thoughts, Omaha? I, I mean, I'd be repeating myself because I just simply think that what you're sharing in this space is critical. Um, it's 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 what we have more and more you know conversations about because people did not people skipped this step and with a with a motive and a desire to have one's quote unquote bucket filled or their their their, their love chest filled or to have someone to share I I I think I think at times you know and and again I'm gonna have to pick on on the ladies with regard to this they're excited about about the idea of of marriage or the idea of a wedding uh, more so than the particular issue that 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 you're discussing and unfortunately in our culture we have men who aren't really men they're not manning up they're not they've not been taught biblical manhood and the fact that they're 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 to pursue a young lady they're they're mm-hmm. to be a provider a protector a pre- the priest of their home the the, the prophet the one who, sh- who who declares and shares truth at all times i mean w- there, there's so few men who have those those natural inclinations those natural tendencies or be even being discipled in such a way that there's that, that they have marriage avoidance right they have they're, they're the ones trying to avoid they're, they're trying to have as man, much fun listen, hold on man because we're gonna have to yes, queue sir. up the hammer b3 right here bro this is the hammer b3 <laughs> moment right here we're gonna have to queue up the mascot we have to queue up the hammer b3 bro because see you preaching now bro go ahead parson it's just it's just one of those things where men, men are are devoid of of having a desire to pursue women. I mean, and, and, and ladies are, are allowing men to get away with it. They absolutely are allowing men to get away with it. So rather than being the prophet, the priest, you know, the, the protector and provider of their homes, we're not, we're not doing that. We're ignoring that. And, and older men, there's no Titus two situation going on where older men are ministering right. to younger men and training them up in those, those ways and those things so that they can properly understand the word, properly, properly pursue a young lady and, and, and to draw her in the, the, the relationship, man, should be one of, of discipleship. You know, oh, this, that, that, that's wow. where, that's where the hearts, that's where the heart connection takes place. If, mm-hmm. if, if there's true discipleship taking place, uh, you're sharing the word of God with her, her sharing her heart about the word of God with you and your pursuit of Christ. And, mm-hmm. and, and you're getting a chance to experience her pursuit of Christ, man. The vulnerability is exposed. The yep. openness is there. You know, you're getting a chance to understand the real person as they present themselves to God first as you get the opportunity to evaluate their lives. And so that, that's what that, you know, that's what that should look like. I know we're not getting into do's and don'ts and I'm not trying to land there. I'm just identifying. I mean, all of what, all of what you said is critical be, with, with regard to this should be a time of, of true heart examination. And, and the reason why uh, it needs to take place is because there's so much at stake. When you begin to read passages like, you know, Ephesians five, you know, mm-hmm. 21 with, with, the, with a woman is, is to submit to the husband. I, I tell my daughter, listen, you better know who you're submitting to. Oh, you man. know, Come if on, that man. if that scripture is uncomfortable for you, it, it, it should be yep. because your submission is a gift from God that you're about to hand over to a young man. You had better know yep. his heart. Yep. 
you would better know his heart. And so, yeah, that, that should make you uncomfortable and it should cause you to be uncomfortable enough to be thoughtful, to be prayerful, to be sober minded, to be, and and to allow your dad to come alongside you and investigate what this young man is all about. If you're, if you're impressed with a car or a, or, or a hairdo or a, or, or some muscles, man, you've missed it. You've missed it. Totally. Yeah. You know, I was commenting a few moments ago about the necessity for us as Christians, and this applies to every person, regardless if they're single or not, to bring our desires into submission to God's will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And on that note, I want to quote from a book by a gentleman by the name of Stephen Arterburn. Uh, Stephen Arterburn wrote a book several years ago titled Feeding Your Appetites. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think this is critical for singles to hear concerning the nature of our desires. Arterburn writes this, quote, Appetites are essential to our physical, emotional, and spiritual survival. When hungry, the body craves food. When thirsty, the body craves water. When you hold your breath, you crave oxygen. Were it not for these cravings motivating us to act, we would not survive. If you never felt cravings for food, you would never eat and you would die. Our appetites motivate us to seek fulfillment, but they must be managed or they will lead us into a world of regret and tremendous emotional pain. When an appetite is intended to help us survive is managed incorrectly, it may become a trap holding us in a deadly grip. Until we give ourselves and our appetites completely over to God, we will remain trapped. To the person who is desperate to satisfy an unsatisfied appetite, even an unhealthy temporary fix is better than nothing. But we know that is a lie. When we settle for unhealthy and unfulfilling imitations of what we really desire, our appetites can begin to rage out of control and start controlling us. We will turn to sources of satisfaction that will eventually turn on us and force us either to give up altogether or overindulge to the bitter end, unquote. I was Stephen Arterburn from the book Feeding Your Appetites. Now, in light of what we just read from Arterburn, in light of what he is saying about our appetites, I want to go back to the text we read earlier in 1 Samuel 16 for a moment. Now, in looking at that text, it's interesting that the qualities that God told Samuel to disregard concerning Eliab, his appearance and the height of his stature, that is. It's interesting that that some of those qualities are some of the same kind of things that single people tend to focus on mm-hmm. when considering the type of person they think they would like to marry. Mm-hmm. Now, am I saying that is not to imply or suggest that physical characteristics are of no significance or importance when it comes to singleness and dating? but that's such superficial attributes and they are superficial as they are subject to change. Such superficial attributes should be viewed as secondary in light of the significance God places on the condition of a person's heart. Mm. This is why God told Samuel, no, I've rejected Eliab. Do not look at his stature or his height. Do not look at the external about him. I've looked at Eliab's heart and I have rejected him. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying here is that as you seek God's wisdom, 
concerning a potential spouse, your priorities must align with his. Because if they don't, you're just setting yourself up for an outcome that you never envisioned. The last thing you want to do is what the world is incessantly trying to convince you to do, Mm. which is to follow your own heart. That's the last thing you want to do. In fact, scripture explicitly warns against that. In Proverbs Mm. 28, 26, you can't get any plainer than this. Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Mm -hmm. Now, The reason the condition of the heart must be the primary consideration for single people who desire to be married is because not only does God value the condition of the heart above everything else, but because regardless of who you decide to marry, if in fact marriage is God's will for you, you're going to be married to a sinner. And so is the person who marries you. Neither a marriage license nor wedding vows, nor a multi-carat diamond ring negates (laughs) the universal truth of Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. All have sinned. That word all in that verse includes that handsome husband or that beautiful wife of yours or that you hope to be yours someday. And if all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and we all have and will continue to in this life, You can rest assured, single person, that your spouse will many times fall short of your expectations, which is why if you're single, you must be careful to not have too high expectations of your potential spouse because he or she is going to sin against you. Mm -hmm. Now, on that note, if there were one piece of advice I would give to single Christians who are hoping to someday be married, it would be this. Always be mindful that both you and your potential spouse will be marrying a sinner. Mm. Each of you will bring into that covenant relationship your own sin-tainted baggage, some of which has gone ignored for years. (laughs) And that baggage, if left unaddressed in a biblical manner, will be exposed in one way or another. Listen to, to this counsel from Dave Harvey from his book, When Sinners Say I Do. By the way, uh, Omaha, do you use Harvey's book as part of your counseling, yep, your premarital yep, counseling? Yep, yep. It absolutely. is a must-have. Yep. It is a, absolutely a must-have. Yep. Dave Harvey's book, the title is When Sinners Say I Do. Mm-hmm. Harvey says this, quote, Make sure you suspect and inspect the accuracy of your perceptions. When a conflict emerges, Is your sense of where your spouse has sinned clear, crisp, and obvious? Are you looking forward to that moment when you can deliver the telling line, honey? If you're looking at this objectively, you have to admit your sin. (laughs) Beware the off-ramp of pride. None of us are omniscient, nor are we Old Testament prophets pronouncing judgment. We are saints who are... We are saints who are still sinners. We only know in part, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And since we cannot see the complete picture, we just might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't matter how attractive you are, how successful you are, how educated you are, how lavish your wedding is, how many carrots your wedding ring happens to have, or how robust your sex life is. None of that can gloss over the fact that there is sin that resides within the heart of both the husband and the wife. 
And if you're not spiritually mature enough to navigate those moments when your spouse sins against you, and I guarantee you that they will, you are destined to be miserable in your marriage. Mm. Any thoughts on that, Omaha? Yeah, man, I I, I do. I, this you you kind of opened up this this particular quote from Dave Harvey and and some of the other thoughts with with this is you know great advice for the Christian single. This is this is great a great reminder for the Christian married, right? Yeah, I mean, as, as, as we're navigating this this particular subject, you know, it'd be very easy for for a handful of folks to say, "Well, I'm I'm married. Let me let me let me shut this off. Let me let me move on." But the reality right, yeah, this is, is not man, for me. Yeah, I'm good. Right, right. All of us need to be reminded of this. All of us, and and it's it's good information, absolutely, for the single who hasn't made that decision, that commitment, or are are in that direction. But man, it is a wonderful reminder for those of us who are believers and who've been married for quite some time, because it's it's very easy at times in in our particular relationship to forget these truths, though we know them. I mean, you could you could tell it to me to my face, and I know them cognitively. But the reality is, I'm not acting that way in my marriage. I'm not acting mm-hmm. as if I'm married to another sinner. I'm not. I'm not doing what 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 the scripture I read earlier, where it talked about. That we're to forgive as Christ forgave us, right? We mm-hmm. we're not operating in those veins. So these are the kinds of things. Every time I do premarital counseling, brother, I don't know about you. Anytime I do a premarital counseling or counseling of of, of any type, uh, it makes me go back home and and reappreciate my spouse. It it, right. it causes it causes me to examine my own heart and say, you know what, man? Either a I'm falling short in this area. I need to get better or man, I'm glad I thank God for where we are and what we have. And we've navigated that particular, you know, uh, uh, point in the road that, that, that particular space in the journey. But man, I, I, I think for me, this is, this is important. Like I said, not only for, not only for the single, but also for the married individual, man. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you, you, you'd echo the same sentiment. Absolutely. Without a doubt. You know, you talk Mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, the counseling that you and I do as biblical counselors mm-hmm. and then within the marriage relationship, I've always said that the word of God is first a mirror, then a window. Come on, man. It's first a mirror, then a window. The word of God holds you, holds that mirror up to who you are. It holds the mirror up to yourself first. Yes. So you can see who you are mm-hmm. before looking at it through the word of God as if it were a window to see everyone else. And that, that's that's what I mean, that's that's all of what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew chapter seven, where he talks about the fact that, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. Why? Because we're we're we're, so, we're supposed to first look at our own lives and examine them, taking the log out of our eye, not so that we're not not so that we don't make judgments, but so that we can clearly then see right. how to take the speck out of our brother's eye. That, right. that, that verse of scripture gets so misused, yeah. but everything that you just said amplifies what, what that, what, what, what was meant there, which is the, the, the counseling aspect. It should be first that, that, that mirror that causes us to look mm-hmm. at ourselves and then, and then a window by which man, we're, we're able you to know. be a, an assist, a help mm-hmm. to someone else. Absolutely. Now, you know, with all that we've just said here, undoubtedly there will be some Christian vultures out there who will hear what I said just a few moments ago, who will accuse me of being negative by saying what I said about sin and kind of focusing on that. But I'm not being negative at all. I'm simply being realistic with regard to our sin nature, because behind all those beautiful wedding and honeymoon photos and videos, 
are two sinful hearts that you and your spouse are going to have to live with each and every day for the rest of your earthly lives. Mm. When you marry someone, you don't just marry the physical person. You also marry, for better or worse, the inner person Mm. of who that person is. So you don't just marry the physical. You marry them from the inside. This is why we are warned in Proverbs 4, 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence for from it, from your heart, flow the springs of life. Listen, there are at least three attitudinal characteristics which, if allowed to reside and fester within your heart, are guaranteed, I guarantee you, they will prevent you from having a godly and contented marriage. Now, I said at least mm-hmm. these three, at least, okay? If you go into e- even a dating relationship with either of these three attitudes embedded within your heart, you're doomed. Number one, competing priorities. I guarantee you competing b- priorities will ruin your marriage. Compe- competing priorities is essentially about someone wanting some degree of control in the relationship. So number one, competing priorities. Number two, selfishness, which is a byproduct of having competing priorities. And then number three, unforgiveness. And that's rooted in pride and arrogance. So if you have either of those, God forbid you have all three of those within you, competing priorities, selfishness, and unforgiveness, you're in trouble. So again, if you bring either of those attitudes into a marriage, I can guarantee you the type of marriage you're going to have, and it won't be a joyous or satisfying one. And let me say this to everyone who's listening out there, singles and married, there are enough things in the world that are trying to destroy your marriage from the outside that you don't need to be trying to destroy it from the inside. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, husband. I'm talking to you, wife. I'm talking to you, single person who is carrying the attitude that someone deserves you. And, you know, that's a common uh, line that's probably going to get me a lot of hate emails for saying that. But it's not true. Marriage, as we said, is God's idea. Okay? And just be careful, all right? You don't have it all together. Okay? There are enough things that are trying to destroy your marriage from the outside and will try to destroy it from the outside that you don't need to be trying to destroy it from the inside. I'm telling you right now, if, 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 if you don't want to be humble, don't get married. <laughs> don't get married. Huh? If, if you don't want the, the mirror of God's word to be put in front of you, don't mm. get married. Mm. Proverbs 14, one to my point about not, destroying the relationship from the inside because you got enough going after your relationship from the outside. Listen to Proverbs 14, one. I got two verses here, Verge. I've got one for the ladies, one for the fellas. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> this is for the fellas. Proverbs 14, one, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Mm-hmm. This is for the ladies. Proverbs 22 verses 24 and 25. Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. 
Okay, so that was Proverbs 14, 1, and then Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. Now, with those two texts in mind, I want folks to listen to what John MacArthur says in his excellent book, The Divorce Dilemma. John MacArthur, in his book, The, the Divorce Dilemma, says this. The marriage based on mutual commitment. You were alluding to this uh, precept earlier, Omaha. And this is why I say, I wasn't being condescending when I said this, but there's a sense in which some people, because they're so focused on the aesthetics of the wedding, the, the, the fact that they are somehow better than themselves being offered as, a, as something that their mate doesn't deserve, but I'm going to go ahead and give them myself. Right. You can't you can't go into a relationship with that sort of prideful attitude. MacArthur says that the marriage based on mutual commitment is the only happy and enduring marriage. Mm. When two Christians love each other for the other's sake rather than their own and live their lives in humble submission to God's word and to each other, a bond is formed that can withstand every temptation, disappointment and failure that Satan and this world can hurl against them. That goes to my point. I'm, I'm not done with the quote yet, but that goes to my point. MacArthur is talking about exactly what I just said. There's going to be enough that's going to come after your relationship from the outside. You don't need to be carrying attitudes into that relationship that will destroy it from the inside. Mm-hmm. MacArthur said, let me go back a sentence. He says, a bond is formed that can withstand every temptation, disappointment, and failure that Satan and this world can hurl against them. They become lovers and friends in a way that the unbeliever and the disobedient Christian can never know. Mm. So MacArthur is saying here that the marriage that is based on mutual commitment is the only happy and enduring marriage, and that in your marriage, you must have the attitude that you're going to look out for the best interest of the other person, mm-hmm. not yourself. Any thoughts on that, Omaha? Absolutely, man. A couple of things. Earlier you said, man, if you don't want to be humbled, uh, don't get married. And uh, <laughs> I laughed because I thought, man, how, how many times that that particular uh, statement has, has you know rang true in my life. Uh, just kind of personally, I, I can think about a, a particular incident, man, with with uh, with my wife and I, we were uh, kind of got into an argument. And, and, and I realized that, you know, nobody but but me gets into arguments with their spouse and that kind of thing. So I, I totally get that. But uh, we 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 were we were in a, we were in one of those situations where where, you know, I, I just flipped a switch. I was had made up my mind. I was right. She was wrong. She She had done the same you know, she, she's right. I'm wrong. And we're both not speaking to each other. Now this happened in a, in a, in a car. So, you know, those close quarters oh, when you man, get, yeah, yes. yeah. Wow. <laughs> those are the worst, man. Those are yeah. the worst. Right. So, so we, we, we drop off the kids. The kids caught a little bit of an ear of that, which I, I later had to repent and apologize for, but I, um, they're, they're, they're in the car. We, we drop them off. And, and so it's just, it's just the two of us and, and, and pride is kicked all the way mm-hmm. full throttle, man. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying anything to her and she's not saying anything to me and, and we're driving home and, and it, it, it was about maybe a 10 minute drive, but it seemed like like a half hour, you know, right. when, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know, man, you know I what I'm know. saying? When nobody's speaking yep. to each other. So it was early, it was early in the morning. And so we had an opportunity, I had an opportunity to kind of get, go back upstairs. We dropped the boys off to do some stuff. We come back home. 
I, I went upstairs. My natural kind of ritual is, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm getting ready, I'll, I'll, I'll throw on a, a sermon or just kind of getting prepped, you know, as I'm, as I'm getting ready. Uh, I, I was wanting to kind of walk through Romans. So I'm, I'm at Romans eight, man, Romans eight, one. And I yeah. flipped on some MacArthur wow. and, mm-hmm. uh, man, he's preaching. I'm like, Oh, this is great. There's now for, there's there, there's, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Very familiar passage of scripture. Yep. I'm like, this is great. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, trying to kind of get my mind scored. I'm like, man, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not even fooling with that. I'm, I'm going to let her, she's downstairs. I'm upstairs. I'm doing my thing. She's doing hers. And I was going to listen to this sermon, get ready for work and head out. So as I'm, mm-hmm. as I'm doing that, man, as I'm preparing, uh, man, MacArthur starts talking about, uh, you know, God and God, the father, the plan that he had for man who sinned against him and how, how, you know, we're, we're at war with God and, and that, that Jesus would, would condescend, would, would come from heaven and into creation, a creation that he ordered. Nothing was created that was made that, that, that he didn't make and how even the, the man that he formed, you know, would, would, would spit upon him, would, would brutalize him, would be him and ultimately have him, ha- have him hanging on a cross, you know, and and for those of us who have now come into Christ, there is now therefore no condemnation, bro. As as I'm listening to this, man, the Spirit of God is doing a a Holy Ghost dance on my heart because I'm thinking, how in the world is it that a sovereign God who spoke creation ex nihilo mm-hmm. out of nothing? Yep. condescends sending his son to die on a cross for rebels yet i'm gonna hold something against my wife because yep. i feel like she sinned against me yep have i lost my mind uh, yes <laughs> and, the, and the answer is yes, yes i absolutely have. have lost my mind <laughs> yes you have i had so i had to go down and and get and humbly repent and say, you know what? I, I I missed it. I there's no there's no reason in the world for me to have an attitude of pride, an attitude of arrogance uh, against you on on you know on something that we were trying to communicate to one another. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then you know it brought my sons in later that afternoon and just had to say, hey, I I missed it with your mom, and you know I I I need to repent, and and I need for you guys to know you know that 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 dad missed it and. And here's why. And I, and I, you know, I opened up, I opened up the scripture and just said, Hey, here's, here's what, what God has done for us. And so as a result, man, we, we're to, we're to forgive others in that same way. And so all, all that to amplify what you said, man, if you don't want to be humble, definitely don't get married. And the word of God is definitely a mirror first before it's a window. Bingo, man. Let me just say this, Omaha. I really appreciate your transparency, man, and sharing that. Um, I'm familiar with that sermon series uh, from uh, John MacArthur. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, if any of our listeners are interested in, you know, in light of what Omaha just shared, if you're interested in hearing that series on Romans, go out to the Grace to You website at gty.org. As gty.org, just do a search on Romans, mm-hmm. okay, and you will get. I, I can't even describe a volume and encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. of expository teaching on the book of Romans, yeah. which uh, is been often described as, as Paul's magnum opus, yeah. uh, right? Omaha. Absolutely. Uh, and, I, and, and I can name three people. I can name only three expositors that I would listen to teach on the book of Romans. 
One of them is John MacArthur. The mm-hmm. other two are the late R.C. Sproul. And then the third is the doctor. I was going to, I thought you were going to say Martin Lloyd-Jones. Yeah. Yep, the doctor. Yeah. And, and those are in no particular order, but Lloyd-Jones, Sproul, and MacArthur, if you yeah. can hear anything from any of those three on Romans, uh, you're, you're good. You're good to go. I, I, uh, I'll add this before, before I, before I j- j- let you jump back in. And that's simply to say the, the exposition that MacArthur does on Romans chapter eight is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It, it I, listening through that messed me up for weeks. I, mm-hmm. I just, I just want to say it, it, it was so life changing life in the spirit to mortify the flesh. I mean, mm-hmm. all, all of this is right in line with, with, with the kinds of things we're talking about with regard to, to marriage as well. So I, I, I would highly Hi, if you if you don't do anything but jump into Romans eight, I would encourage you for the life of the believer to do so. Yeah, you talked earlier. You commented earlier, right, Omaha, about marriage being about discipleship. Absolutely. And uh, Romans, you see, Romans is a dangerous epistle to read mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it strips you naked. Is it does. <laughs> Romans yeah, strips, from the very beginning, doesn't it? From the from Romans one one, yeah, it strips you spiritually naked. And what did speaking of which, what did God say in Genesis when He brought Adam and Eve together? It says that they came together as husband and wife, and they were naked and were mm-hmm. not ashamed. I'm ashamed, yeah, they were naked and they were not ashamed. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Genesis, I want to go back to Genesis 2 one more time and bring up what I believe is an important point regarding singleness. In Genesis 2.15, we read, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Mm -hmm. Let me read that again. Then the Lord God took the man, singular, and put him, singular, into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. My point in bringing up this text is that even before God formed Eve from the rib of Adam, God gave Adam something to do. Mm. He wasn't just sitting around contemplating or lamenting the fact that he had no human companionship. Adam was busy fulfilling his God-given responsibility, which was to cultivate the garden in which God had sovereignly placed him. Good. Now, the overarching principle here for Christians who are single is this. Obey God in that state in which he has you currently and trust your marital future to his inscrutable and infallible wisdom. Okay, let me say that again. Obey God in the state in which he has you currently and trust your marital future to his inscrutable and infallible wisdom. Or as Booker T. Washington said in his 1895 Atlanta exposition speech, set down your bucket where you are. Set down your bucket where you are. Now, in saying that, Omaha, I'm reminded of the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their ordeal in the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Let me read I thought you, I thought you. I thought you were going to say a bad Negro. I swear I thought you I Shadrach <laughs> Meshach and a bad Negro. That you weren't gonna uh you what 
You want to give him that one? Bro, see now why does that look why does why does that sound like some 70s black exploitation film <laughs> title? <laughs> I feel like I should cue up the theme from Shaft. Right, 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 right. That's pretty good. Oh my god. <laughs> That's pretty good. Now, here's what's here's what's funny is our fans are gonna start tweeting that out, and then and then we we're really gonna catch it. You know, we're really gonna catch it. Unpacking you know everything. Thank goodness there are there are only two of us and not three of us on this a podcast, but they probably give us <laughs> each of us one of those names. One of the names. <laughs> That's pretty oh good. Okay. <laughs> Thank God I have notes because I would have lost yeah, my place. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> serious face, serious face. Pull it back, pull it back. <laughs> All right. So I was talking about how singles need to trust God with where they are now. You need to trust God and obey Him where you are right now. Set down your bucket where you are. Now I think there's a principle here and an application for us from the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the ordeal that they encountered with King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter three, verses 16 to 18. I'm going to read that text here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blaming fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, under the threat of being burned alive, those three men confess that even if God did not deliver them physically out of the fiery furnace, they nevertheless would not bow their knee to King Nebuchadnezzar. My point here is this. When we can honestly and sincerely say, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, about any desire we have, that even if God does not meet that desire, we will remain faithful to him, then you know that some serious sanctification is going on within you. Now, let me repeat that. Whatever desire you have, you want to be able to say that even if God does not meet that desire in the way you would like him to meet it, you're still going to serve him. You're still going to serve him. Nothing's going to change with respect to your commitment to obeying God. And ultimately, you see, being conformed to the image of Christ is God's primary goal for each one of us, which sometimes means that our most heartfelt desires. Though, though biblically legitimate, okay, you can have a heartfelt desire that's biblically legitimate, but sometimes God's sanctifying process for us means that that desire, though legitimate, may very well go unfulfilled in this life. And if it goes unfulfilled, can you say to God, even if he does not, even if he does not, as I said earlier, God knows the motives and desires of your heart. Even so, you must be willing to submit to whatever his will is for your life, 
even if that includes not being married. For it is far better to obey God, if in fact it is his will that you not marry, than to disobey him and marry someone in an effort to satiate your own self-centered desires and wishes. Now, you can do that if you so choose. But just keep these words in mind. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9. Keep these words in mind if you choose to go outside of God's will. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. This text goes for women as well. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. And let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, hey, yeah, you can follow your own path. Do your own thing. Make your own choices outside of God's will. But just remember, though, in doing those, God's going to bring you to judgment for every single decision you make, every single choice you make to follow your desires that are outside of his will. Any thoughts, Omaha? Yeah, I met with an incredibly, just a precious couple today. It was a man and a woman. They were in their 60s, and uh, uh, the the man had never been married, though he had a desire to be married. Uh, he just never found the the right woman. And the woman, now she had been married and divorced. Now, her divorce happened to be prior to her coming uh, to Christ, and and based upon her own admission, uh, that relationship ended because of some some abuse. But both of these individuals' uh, des- desires of marriage just for years did not find anyone. And they had decided that it would be fine if they were going to remain single uh, for the entire time. They just decided, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. They, they wanted to, they, they, you know, they had made the decision regardless of what they had a desire to do, that they were going to be submitted to God's will for their life. Now they, they met me today. In fact, having met one another, uh, and 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 our meeting is prior to even an engagement because they're wanting to be sure that they're walking out biblical courtship. Right. Uh, they desire accountability with other couples uh, that can disciple them. You know, during their, their the new journey that they found themselves on. And, and man, I could tell you, bro, they were so they were so precious. They had demonstrated such care for one another. Uh, and I, I'm trying to you know trying to make sure that this is a match so I can hurry them on up along. As as it goes, because uh, you know, it just just neat to see two people who have made a decision to not 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 give in in a in an unbiblical, ungodly way to selfish desire, right? Uh, but to but to align themselves with the will of God more than anything, and so that it was just neat to neat to see. That's great stuff, man. I th- I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the ages of that mm-hmm. couple because I think there's an assumption that we often make when we when you hear the word single and dating mm-hmm. that that's exclusive to folks in their twenties right, or, right. or thirties uh, right. maybe, but the, you know, these, you know, people in their sixties, fifties, seventies date. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, there's singles within that age range as well. So these, I'm glad you mentioned that, but that's, that's a great uh, reminder for us to not stereotype this topic to a certain uh, demographic. So, right. Right. So as we move on, okay. I just want to say that as I see it, a fundamental problem, with the church today when it comes to singleness is that it has so embraced the world's visage of marriage that it no longer knows what to say to singles who desire to marry. The church has failed, in my estimation. They failed mm-hmm. to a great degree when it comes to helping believers who are single to understand that there's a clear distinction to be made between 
getting married and being married. Millions of single people want to get married, but few of them realize what it actually entails to be married. Yeah. You see, it's one thing to want to get married, but it's another thing entirely to want to be married. Mm. What many single people and even many married people fail to realize is that after you get married, you have to be married. Those two little verbs make all the difference in the world when it comes to marriage. One verb involves butterflies, the verb getting married. One verb involves butterflies, whereas the other verb involves bee stings. <laughs> That's where the biblical precept of becoming one flesh comes in. In every marriage, there's going to be a combination of butterflies and bee stings. Mm-hmm. Listen to what John Piper said in his book, This Momentary Match, which a book which I highly recommend, by the way. I highly recommend Consider what Piper is saying here in his book, This Momentary Marriage, A Parable of Permanence. Listen to Piper here. Piper says, the ultimate thing we can say about marriage is that it exists for God's glory. That is, it exists to display God. Now we see how marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant relationship to his redeemed people, the church. And therefore, the highest meaning And the most ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and his church on display. That is why marriage exists. If you are married, that is why you are married. If you hope to be married, that should be your dream. Staying married, therefore, is not mainly about staying in love. It is about keeping covenant. Unquote. That was John Piper from This Momentary Marriage. Now, along those same lines as Piper, Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, wrote this, quote, unless you're able to look at marriage through the lens of scripture instead of through your own fears or romanticism, through your particular experience or through your culture's narrow perspective, you won't be able to make intelligent decisions about your own marital future, mm. unquote. See, Keller is making the point that I made at the very, very top of this episode. We're not going to be talking about this subject of singleness, dating, and marriage from the standpoint of perspectives. We're talking about it from the standpoint of God's perspective, and that is the only perspective of the matter that matters. We are talking about those topics, singleness, dating, and marriage, through the prism of God's objective truth, and by objective, I mean that his precepts apply equally to everyone. Okay. Any thoughts on that, Omaha, on what either Keller or Piper had to say? No, I, I mean, I think, I think it's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. And, and, and again, I think it reiterates what you've said, been saying, and it's something that we've carried consistently throughout uh, our time on this podcast, and that is that our our, our perspective is not going to be based upon the culture, whether in, in where where Keller talks about the the romanticism of of, of the day. It's not going to be based upon um, some some idea or tribal view of marriage. It's it's going to be based upon the the biblical worldview, the biblical perspective. I mean, that's 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 everything we're anchored in. That's that, that's a whole reason rationale why uh, why we decided to engage cultural topics from a biblical worldview and so that this is no different amen brother amen now we're getting close to uh closing out this episode on singleness dating and marriage and i want to humbly admonish christian singles out there 
do not follow the world's model of marriage. Mm. Do not. Do not follow the world's model of marriage. Refuse to be influenced by worldly reality TV shows like 90 Day Fiance and Marriage Boot Camp. Those shows are trash. Okay? Instead, look to the word of God. As we've said repeatedly throughout this conversation, marriage is God's idea. And since it is God's idea, it is God's word that contains all you need to know about what marriage is and how to be discerning about the kind of person you should marry if, in fact, that is God's will for you. Okay? And as you diligently seek God's wisdom in this area of your life, you ought to continue in in obedience to him with regard to your personal purity. Okay? So as you're seeking God's wisdom with regard to your marital future, your job, your responsibility is to continue in obedience to him. As I said earlier, set down your bucket where you are. Trust God in the state that he has you in currently until, if it is his will, until he changes that. Mm-hmm. Your personal purity matters as you wait on God's uh, wisdom and direction Amen. in this area. Uh, listen to what the Apostle Paul says here in First Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 7. First Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 7. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and Mm. that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 7. Mm. Awesome, huh? Love it, man. I, I Again, I, all this is, is self-explanatory. I, I, I love where we've been, what we've shared and where we're, where, you know, where we're landing uh, the plane, so to speak. And so I can't, I can't wait for, for our listeners to hear this, listen to this and, and absorb kind of what's said. I, I, the only, the only add on that I would, that I would do here is simply to say something I said earlier, which is, Yes, it's aimed primarily at, at, at singles and dating, but man, th- these are some of this stuff is such a great reminder for those of us who are indeed married. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, thanks for that, Omaha. And I want to close out with a couple of quotes. I want to close this episode with a couple of quotes that I really want our listeners to listen closely to. The first is from the book by C.J. Mahaney entitled Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God. Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God by C.J. Mahaney. Mahaney writes this. He says, there is a purpose in marriage that goes beyond personal fulfillment. Something of, the se- something of the selfless love, care, and sacrifice that Jesus shows toward the church is supposed to be evident in you as you relate to your spouse. Something of the respect, submission, and devotion that the church shows toward Jesus is supposed to be evident 
in your spouse as he or she relates to you. That's the purpose for your marriage. That is why God has given your spouse to you and you to them. The biblical purpose for marriage is not man-centered or needs-centered. It is profoundly mysterious and profoundly significant. Your marriage is meant to point to the truth of the crucified and risen Savior who will return for his bride. Wow. Okay. Lastly, let's wrap up with this. This is from Jim Neuheiser, a biblical counselor who I highly respect. This is Jim Neuheiser from his book, Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. Neuheiser says this, just because people have determined that they are probably gifted to be married, this does not necessarily mean that they are ready for marriage. Some want to be married for the wrong reasons. And let me pause there. See, this is why I hammered home the whole motive issue. This is why I hammered that home. Because Neuheiser is saying here, some want to be married for the wrong reasons. He goes on to say, many are eager for marriage simply so that they can have their desires for companionship and sexual fulfillment met. A man who is enslaved to lust may think that marriage will solve his problem. But if he is not fighting the battle for self-control, he is not ready for marriage. If sex is his idol, his wife will not be able to fully satisfy his expectations and terrible conflict may result. In the same way, if a woman wants to be married so that she can have a strong romantic man worship the ground she walks on as he caters to her every wish, she too will be sorely disappointed. A man who is judgmental and angry is not ready to be married. A woman who is insecure and who seeks to find her significance through the attention of a man is not ready to be successfully married. It takes maturity and grace to be married. The closeness experienced in marriage, which is meant to create joyful personal intimacy, can instead create fiction for those who marry for the wrong reasons. Mm. And I'll leave it at that. I love it. Well, listen, we have really uh, unpacked this while I think you set up at the top, man. This won't be exhaustive by any stretch. I think it was incredibly informative. I'm hopeful that those who who checked in with us, who listened in to this particular podcast, got something out of it, both those who are single as well as those who are married. Join us next time for another edition of the Just Thinking Broadcast.